The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. From the earliest days of the church, the Feast of Pentecost has been one of great celebration because we recognize that today is indeed and in truth the birthday of the church. So if you're ever looking for a reason to have cake today, there's a good one. It's our birthday as a church. And this is because Jesus has gone through his earthly life, that he has, that he has fulfilled his, uh, his mission from God the Father, that he came among us, that he, that he spoke to us, that he gave us the disciples, and then that he was offered up on the cross, raised up from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now has sent the Holy Spirit upon the church. And with the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the church, the, the mysteries and the, and the mission of Christ are complete. They're fulfilled. And so today... The church begins to take baby steps in spreading the gospel. Today, the church receives the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be able to go forth and to proclaim to all the nations the goodness of God. It's an interesting thing that we have today, though, in the scriptures as we celebrate that reality of the gift of the Holy Spirit descending upon the church because we have a strange juxtaposition of two passages of two different sendings of the Holy Spirit. In the first reading, we hear about how in the Acts of the Apostles, the disciples were gathered together again in a common place. Maybe it was the upper room, maybe it was in the temple, maybe in a synagogue nearby. But they were all gathered together and they were in prayer when the Holy Spirit descended upon them in the most terrifying of manners. A terrifying wind begins to blow. A great sound, a great noise comes from the heavens. And the Holy Spirit comes down in fire and splits and divides among all of those who are present there. After that, they begin to speak in tongues. And they begin to go out and to, to proclaim the gospel to all these various other peoples from different nations. Each understanding in their own language. It's a rather fantastic type of experience. Something that you have to remark about, just the the power and the authority present in that particular moment. And so the church has received the fullness of the Spirit. But then we get to the gospel, and it seems like we've taken a step backwards. Because we go back and we read today, on the 50th day of the Easter season, we read the same passage as we read on the first. Namely, that the disciples were in the upper room, this time on the day of resurrection. They were terrified about the things that were happening around them. Jesus had just been killed. 
The whole whole following day was the Sabbath, which they were prevented from doing anything. So they basically just had to sit there all day long thinking about what had happened. They couldn't do anything. And so the next day, after probably working themselves up into a pretty good nervous wreck after the Sabbath, contemplating things of Christ, they come and on Sunday, the Lord is raised up and he appears to them and he bids them peace twice. And then he breathes upon them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now you have to kind of wonder, how many times did they receive the Holy Spirit? Jesus gave them the Spirit whenever he was with them before. He gives them the Spirit the day of resurrection. And then they receive the Spirit on the last day of the Easter season we celebrate on the Feast of Pentecost. Was it the same spirit? Was it different parts of the spirit? Was one kind of a promise of the spirit and the other one the actual fulfillment of the promise? There's lots of questions that could be raised. And the simple reality is that what we see with the sending of the spirit on these different occasions are twofold. One, it shows us that the spirit comes and he reveals himself gradually. I was reflecting upon this for myself, that the, the priest is a modern-day disciple of Jesus, supposed to be following with the Lord in his time, growing to, to come and to model himself after Christ and his disciples. But the path to priesthood isn't just seminary, seminary, seminary priesthood. It's you go to the seminary and you, you're uh, installed as a reader in the liturgy. Then you're installed as a server in the liturgy. Then you become an official candidate for holy orders, which is kind of a next step with different obligations. Then you become a deacon, and then you become a priest. Most priests don't want to become bishops, but that's the next step. <laughs> and so the reality is there, there's a gradual movement and revelation of the things that happen in the, in the offices that you take up. And that's really what we see in the scriptures. It's not something that the church just decided, hey, let, let's just make this a great idea. Let's create a system. It was Christ who already gave us the system. Earlier in his ministry, he sent the disciples out to be able to go and to cast out demons. Again, he sent them out, and this time they were able to heal. Now, on the first day of resurrection, Jesus comes to them and he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them, which they already had, they already possessed. So he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them to give them a new step in the process, namely, to be able to forgive sins. Also, unspoken, to be able to celebrate the Eucharist which was necessary for the disciples from the first days. And then, in the fullness of time, Christ gave the fullness of the Holy Spirit upon the church, namely to fulfill that last and most necessary peace to be able to send the Holy Spirit upon others. So it's this progressive movement and revelation of of the ability for the disciples to take up the ministry of Christ. And now that the ministry of Christ is completed at Pentecost, Everything that Christ had is given to the apostles to continue his mission. Nothing is withheld. Even the ability to pass on the Holy Spirit to other apostles. These are the things that are given to Christ, or given from Christ to his bride, the church. And so this, this is the first thing that we see is this continued revelation in a gradual manner quite often. That shows how the Holy Spirit works. Really, it shows how God himself works. And that gradual revealing of himself and his mystery. The second thing that it shows us 
It shows us how we should understand the Holy Spirit active in us. Because again, we have these two different accounts of the presence of the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples. The first that we hear today is the one that is powerful. It's important for us from time to time to recognize that the Holy Spirit is fire. That he's not just a cute little bird who just kind of flutters around here and there. The Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit is God himself. It's a reminder to us in the hearing of the account of the Holy Spirit descending upon the church as a whole that he comes with wind, with great noise, tongues with fire. It shows the awesome power of God in so many ways. And it's a reminder to us, again, that the Holy Spirit has power to consume us. Fire has two purposes. One, to purify, and it does so by setting things on fire. In the hymn that we sang, the sequence prior to the Alleluia today, we hear about the Holy Spirit who comes to set us on fire with love for God. The Holy Spirit comes to set us aflame, to allow us to be consumed, to become fully alive in the Holy Spirit. And so we know that God is powerful. But we also know that God is more often very, very subtle. Because while the Lord can do miraculous things, what we see in Jesus, what we see in God the Father, and what we encounter in the Holy Spirit, is that very often they are quiet. And this is the invitation and the challenge to us. In our day where we're constantly surrounded with noise and things and activities and places to go and, and all this various stuff, the call is for us to be able to make sure that we spend time every day, and especially on the Lord's Day here at Mass, to be able to come and listen, to sit in the quiet, and to learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. He speaks quietly. He speaks in a subtle whisper that the noise of the world, the noise in our own mind, the noise of other people, and the evil one try to drown out with so much other discussion. But it's the Lord who comes subtly. He speaks to us. And if we're willing and able to hear, we will know the way to go. The devil comes to be able to force us, to accuse us, to push us, to compel us. But the Holy Spirit always draws us. He pulls us by love. He gives us a gentle nudge in the right direction. And he waits for us to respond to his movement. He has power, but he wants us to cooperate. He doesn't want to force himself upon us. He wants us to freely accept his gift and to make use of it, to respond. Every one of us in the gift of our baptism received the Holy Spirit, much like the disciples who received it on two occasions, so also we received him in his fullness at confirmation. The promise and the seed of faith planted us in baptism waiting for it to be put to good use. The Holy Spirit comes and he plants within our hearts seven gifts. And the reality is most of the time, whenever we receive a gift, we don't go, oh, thank you, and then put it on a shelf and never open it. Sometimes we do out of forgetfulness. Maybe we'll find it years down the line. 
somebody corrected me this morning and said, Father, I did just that thing. And I said, well, okay. But most of the time when we receive a gift, we open it because it's a sign of love and affection from the other person. We want to, we want to see that and share in that love and return that love. And so we want to open the gift. And the same thing with the Holy Spirit is he comes and he gives us seven gifts. Wisdom and understanding, counsel and fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. These are the basic things that we need to be Christians. The basic functioning elements for us to know what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. Basically, they give us the ability to open ourselves to the work of God within us. And to the extent that we open up these gifts and put them to good use, something within us changes. We all know that fruit trees are supposed to bear fruit. Whenever pecan trees don't produce the pecan crop that we would like, we lament it, right? There's a frustration. It's supposed to produce. So when, when, I mean, if you, if, you, if you go out in the field and you, and you work and you labor and you do all this kind of stuff and the field produces absolutely nothing, there will be a great frustration in one's heart, right? And the Holy Spirit comes and he works within our soul. He comes and he tills the soul. He plants the seed of himself within us. He comes and he waters us. He who is the fountain of life. And he desires to produce within us his fruits. Because just like the trees of the fields, we're supposed to produce something. If we've got great greenery and great leaves, fine and good. But if we don't produce fruits in the Holy Spirit, then we fall short of what we're called to be. And this is the importance of what we hear today. It should be a great examination of conscious for us to do from time to time. Especially today as we honor the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. To spend some quiet time in our hearts and to look deeply into our soul and to simply ask the question, am I producing the fruits? Are they here? The church recognizes 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. Charity or love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, chastity, self-control. Are they in us? It's an important question. Are these things happening within our souls? It doesn't mean that we're perfect on all accounts. It doesn't mean that every one of them has to be absolutely 100%. Because... We fall short. But they should be there to some degree. And we pray an increasing degree. Because they show that he is alive in me. And in you. It shows that the work that he provides to us and does within our soul is not in vain. It shows in a visible manner. That God is working on me. That God is changing me. That God is renewing me. That his life courses in my veins. It's a wonderful thing for us to reflect upon. The ways in which God makes us like himself. Because that's what it comes down to. Everything that we do, everything that we, that we pray for, all of it is simply for us to become more like Christ. To allow the Spirit to produce in us. And so I would invite you, truly, to take some time this week and to reflect upon those gifts. To reflect upon those fruits. 
than to say, have I made use of them and are they working and growing in me? Nine of the twelve were in the second reading. If you want to look in the catechism, I think it's paragraph 1830 or 1832. is the paragraph number that lists all twelve. To go back and to look at them. And to really pray with them. If you want to take the extra step, get your spouse or a best friend or a close friend in a prayer group, maybe a sibling, and to give them the list and to say, do you see this in me? And that can be the test. Because quite often it's easy for us to give ourselves a free pass. I mean, I, I speak only for myself, but I think I'm probably not the only one in the world. I can convince myself that I have done a great job regardless of how terrible a job I've actually done. <laughs> I can give myself a free pass. I can, I can weasel my way or crawfish my way out of just about any accusation against myself. I get, I get an amen back there. All right. That's a first. Usually that happens at the gospel mass. Whew. Holy Spirit moving today. It's this reality, again, that I can accuse myself of all kinds of things, but always find a way to say, well, it was just a bad day, or it was such and such, or it was this, or it was that. But in the end, none of those other things matter, because if the Spirit is actually producing His fruits, even on the worst of days, I should still be doing these things. And so it's the invitation for us to come and to search, to look at the tree of our soul, And hope to see fruits. And as we come to this holy mass. It's an opportunity for us. To come and to place ourselves in the presence of the Lord once more. To begin again. This this new life. This new birth. Within us and within the world and the church. And to be able to simply implore the Holy Spirit. I see it as providential that today we celebrate the third Sunday of the month. So we'll have adoration of the Blessed Sacrament at the end of Mass. I would invite you. Especially during that time. Just to ask the Holy Spirit to do his work. It doesn't take us super long prayers. It takes us heartfelt prayers. Simple things. Lord, help me make use of the gifts. Lord, help me say yes to being fruitful.